All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast, where I am joined, as always, by my trusty compadre, Mr. Pizza Mind. Uh, Pizza Mind, it is a volatile day in the markets. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into what has been going on, but it is, uh, you know, today we're recording September 7th, and uh, we saw open interest across the entire market fall, plummet 35% in about an hour. Um, and Pete, you actually were telling me right before this recording, because we were just, you know, catching up. This was insane. Um, in one hour, the equivalent amount of uh, the market cap of crypto in 2017, which was about a trillion dollars. You're, you're telling me we lost a trillion dollars of market cap in an hour. Is that the case? Not a trillion, but about 300 billion. So the total market cap of Bitcoin, you're saying? Yeah, a Bitcoin. Got it. Yeah, that's a violent move. $300 billion wiped off. Yeah. Mostly uh, liquidation driven, though. I got a couple bumps on the head from that. um, (laughs) And I find this very, very curiously timed with El Salvador just buying in for the first time yesterday. Mm. Seems like uh, some people are saying, oh, yeah, you want to use Bitcoin? Well, here, how do you like this? How do you like this volatility? Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, funny because... It's almost like there was, uh, you know, somebody announced their bid. They knew exactly that they were going to have, a, you know, whatever they were buying, 150 Bitcoin or 500 Bitcoin or whatever it was, a, you know, a sizable chunk. They announced it and they got dumped on. Um, and so with all that being said, uh, we're still reeling. But by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, you know, it takes a week or two to edit. You guys might be hearing this towards the end of September. But uh, we're joined by a fantastic guest today. Uh, Chris Hart, who is the CEO of Civic Technologies. Uh, you know, if you guys have been trading in markets, you guys have heard about Civic. They're a big player 
Uh, chairman of the board is a uh, you know Shark Tank phenom, uh, Vinny Lingham. So Chris Hart is joining us today to talk about uh, DeFi, but a specific flavor of DeFi, one that we haven't dip, dove too deep into, uh, permissioned DeFi and trusted DeFi. So Chris Hart, welcome to the show. Hey guys, hey Bryce, hey Aaron, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here and happy to talk about uh, permission DeFi. Yeah, you bet. So, yep. <laughs> heck yeah. So before the recording, we were catching up. You, uh, you're like, um, you know, a tech guy, San Francisco, Palo Alto based, um, been, you know, big in Silicon Valley. Could you kind of just catch us up to, you know, how you became CEO of Civic Technologies and a little bit about, you know, what you were doing before and how you found your way into crypto? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was, um, I was actually started in, in technology. So I, I was standing up data centers and basically running big server farms for stock and option trading companies um, in the early 2000s. So this was when day traders were going to take over the world. And, you know, it was all about arbitrage opportunities between the big exchanges. Fast forward to today, and you've got, you know, FTX and all these companies are being between crypto exchanges. It's a little bit like everything that was uh, was old is new again, kind of a dynamic. But I started in technology. I mean, literally was the guy in the server rooms, you know, racking and stacking boxes, connecting all the wires, doing all that stuff. We actually put in the first handheld trading platform on the floor of all the exchanges in North America, a company called Preferred Trade. So, you know, wow. I was like crawling around with the uh, guy guys in red jackets screaming over my head, trying <laughs> to get that up and running. So I decided, hey, I'm going to move into finance for a little while. Um, and so I became a controller, ultimately a CFO of a couple of um, companies here in the Bay Area, tech companies, mobile apps. Um, marketplaces, online marketplaces for uh, ad networks and things like that. A company called Nextag, and then uh, took took the uh, you know the matrix pill and and joined Vinny um, at Civic in 2017. And so, as you well remember, that was uh, part of the ICO craze boom. You know, things were were just up and to the right. I don't want to blame myself, but uh, shortly after I joined 2018, you know, things started going down and there was a little little bit of an so issue So that's there, what but, happened. Uh, yeah, you guys were wondering, right? <laughs> well, now it all so, makes sense. Uh, but a veteran of the hot aisle, Chris, um, awesome. You know, definitely yeah. been there myself, so much respect to you. You know, when you joined Vinny in 2017, DeFi looked completely different. I mean, it would... The, the building blocks were barely in its infancy stage. Uh, it was mostly unusable. And yep. Civic took the approach of really creating something that hadn't been created before instead of just forking Bitcoin, which was the hot thing to do at that time. What was right. Vinny's vision that sold you? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was a lot about how do we bring identity to the masses and in such a way that they have control and it doesn't become just another tool to sort of monitor and control people um, in, an, in a new industry, right? So there's, I think, a misconception sometimes coming from the United States that people around the world enjoy a lot of the freedoms and product services that we do here. And the reality is you can be sitting in a, you know, Southern, um, you know, country or somewhere in the Middle East or whatever, and be experiencing hyperinflation and half of your saving disappears overnight, but you don't have access 
to places to put your money. And so part of the, the vision was how do we, in a way that is very secure, that enables control, play the identity use case out into this new crypto blockchain economy in a compelling way. And Vinny had that vision and, and obviously Civic is a reflection of our movement into that space. Now, I think we were honestly a little bit early right? 2017, 2018, um, the, the most typical use case that Civic saw was identity for ICOs, for other crypto companies that wanted to um, adopt like our login technology. But we're really starting, that, starting to see that change now as you know, NFT companies are adopting our technology. We see access management companies, like we work with this big multinational, JCI Tyco has started to adopt and then DeFi. I mean, DeFi is going to change a lot of things, but I think the reality is identity has an important role to play there. Very well said. Um, so, so kind of reading from your site, you guys uh, help uh, meet KYC and AML requirements um, with SaaS compliance tools for DeFi and for public blockchains and NFTs. But, I, but some of the words you use um, are a lot different than the buzzwords that most people think about relating to crypto. So you guys call it, uh, you know, permissioned entrusted DeFi, whereas a lot of the other protocols will say permissionless entrustless. So um, what's really afoot here? Could you kind of tell us kind of that about that dichotomy and, and why you guys really are the outliers? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a great question. And, and it's one that um, I think there's starting to be some, some consensus on, right? I mean, everybody talks about DeFi versus CeFi. Now you got HiFi. Is it hybrid finance? There's like all the buzzwords in the world are, are kind of flying around. But I think what um, is interesting, or at least in the way our thinking has evolved to think about this, if you take a centralized exchange, whether that's a traditional equities exchange or a crypto exchange or, or whatever, it's basically a, a pretty simple aggregation of parts, right? It's it's an order book, it's matching, maybe there are derivatives, maybe there aren't, but it's also um, the the onboarding and offboarding of fiat and then compliance, right? And, and managing that exchange in such a way, especially in the traditional markets, that you can be in compliance with things like uh, anti-money laundering laws so that you can, can be compliant with FATF and all these different regulatory bodies. Now, fast forward to, to crypto. When people say a permissionless ecosystem, I think that that's true as far as it goes. And it's one of the great innovations that we've seen in the last couple of years. But if you want to take a picture of an exchange and carve out the piece that became permissionless, it's really the order book, right? It's, it's the onboarding, maybe. Um, if you're a Coinbase, for example, you can do that fiat onboarding. Finance does as well. Some exchanges don't, though, right? It's just crypto to crypto. Um, some exchanges have fiat offboarding. Some don't. It's, you know, take your crypto in, we're going to do a, an exchange, and then you're going to move your crypto out. But in that traditional exchange view, there's pieces that didn't get carved out into that permissionless view. And that's what Civic is addressing. We're saying, okay, so you guys took the order book, you put it into a smart contract, you put it on chain. Maybe it was not the first best L1 chain, and now it's going to go into a higher volume, better suited chain. But the piece that's missing is the ability to have identity attributed to the, back to those trades. Now, 
we fully understand the counter argument, which is, well, but your wallet is your identity. What we're actually seeing in the regulatory environment suggests that there will need to be some tieback to individuals and to the identity. But what Civic thinks is there's a way to do that without compromising everything, without compromising all of your identity all the time. And to get that correlation on chain between an identity um, construct and a wallet such that you can participate in DeFi, but not in a way that the regulators are going to come in and slam the door in our face is a project that's well worth undertaking. That's what we think. We're trying to create conditions where that DeFi world can continue to flourish. Can you give us a peek under the hood of what is actually going on when we're doing KYC and what the AML is actually doing on the back end? Like, is it checking against an FBI database of known criminals of a certain class? Or is it going to like a CIA list of known terrorists? Or is it just simply just recording this blockchain address matches this person? Yeah, it's a great question. It depends on what the requirements are of this specific DAP. Um, And so I'll give you an example of that. So a, a DEX may have certain levels of KYC that they are required to comply with, depending on what their geographic location is and where they're incorporated. In the US, if you're, you know, you've got a Delaware, let's say registered C Corp and you stand up a DEX, you're subject to all the rules and compliance laws that the US has. If you do that somewhere else, you're going to be compliant with other laws and you may need to exclude persons from countries where your level of KYC or AML is not sufficient. So what's actually happening on the back end is traditional KYC, and I'll I'll sort of describe what that is, but it's what you guys are going to be familiar with, right? Email address, phone number, you share a government-issued photo ID, um, we do the matching of um, a short video selfie, and, and that kind of establishes your baseline identity. Now, as for further checks, it can include a variety of things depending on what the DEX needs, but there would be um, like an OFAC sanction check, for example, that could be one of the requirements that the DEX um, has for their specific population. So that would bounce it against a publicly available OFAC list where kind of known terrorists or or known bad actors um, names are listed. And the reality is anyone can do that anytime. All these websites are are available and and accessible um, via the web. You can go type in somebody's name and or a company and see if it pops up. So we're doing that level of check. And then as for like the anti-money laundering piece, um, a lot of that is going to be on the decks, right? Or or on the DAP to figure out mechanisms by which you know they can look for things like velocity or um, you know different patterns that may trigger something that's required on the AML side. So we're kind of partnering, we're providing a toolkit to say, look, as a first level, you ought to know who your counterparty is so that you can understand um, that it's not going into a black box and that maybe you're sending money to a terrorist or something like that. But we're not working with the FBI or CIA or anything like that, if that was part of the question. Awesome. Very, very interesting. And it always gives us good insight of like kind of what goes on behind the scenes and stuff. I want to talk for a minute about things that have fundamentally changed the way we live. 
These are the disruptors. Things like smartphones, okay, streaming devices, um, you know, whiter than white paint that actually cools down buildings. Uh, things even like cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin and, and smart contract platforms that are going to, you know, house the applications of the future. But uh, another one that I heard of recently is a company called Ladder. Okay, and Ladder basically took the life insurance industry and flipped it upside down, and it shook out all the inefficiencies. So before Ladder, if you wanted to get life insurance, you had to drive across town, sit through a sales pitch, fill out a ton of paperwork, and then wait like six to eight weeks to find out if you've been approved. Uh, you'd also receive like a zillion phone calls from agents trying to bundle your life insurance with things like car insurance and other insurance and all sorts of stuff. But now with Ladder, you can get fast, affordable term life insurance without leaving home. Okay. It's hundred percent digital. When you apply for $3 million or less in coverage, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. All right. So if you're between the ages of 20 and 60 and you need coverage and you want to team up with a company that's redeeming life insurance, choose ladder. So go to ladderlife.com slash crypto 101 today to see if you're instantly approved. So that's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash crypto 101, ladderlife.com slash crypto 101. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. I mean, time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And it's free. In fact, I mean, here at Crypto 101, we use LinkedIn to hire our newest employee, Ryan. And funny enough, he actually in turn worked with the folks at LinkedIn to partner with us here on the podcast as a sponsor. So, so how about that? Uh, you can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Uh, you can focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need, uh, and you can use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people, and then just use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you would like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every week, actually, uh, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash crypto. That's linkedin.com slash crypto. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ...to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Kind of, you know, bringing it back uh, to a high level again, you know, Crypto 101. Um, I think a lot of people are, 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 you know, pretty sensitive about privacy. Um, and they, they think, oh, well, here we are in crypto uh, because it gives us privacy benefits. But are, are, would you say that you're building... I mean, and Civic still is privacy preserving in a sense. It's almost like opt-in of like you get to choose of what 
you know, you get to share with uh, these systems. But would you say your customer is institutional mainly or uh, like consumer mainly or is it both? Yeah, I would, I would actually say that it's both. And, and just want to address that topic of privacy because we think that's incredibly important. That was the basis of the tech stack that we built to create Civic. And so it's, we feel you know, really important to be able to give individuals the right to say, I am comfortable sharing this information or I am not, I'm choosing not to share this information. What, what actually happens right now on the back end um, in traditional finance even, when you go sign up for an account, what, what the bank is doing is a whole bunch of background checks on you. Um, they're running you against you know, um, databases that are maintained by Experian or Equifax or LexisNexis, all these databases where your personal information has been harvested and is now being stored. They're comparing what you've provided in your application or as part of the onboarding to that information. And they're making kind of like a risk-based risk score determination on the suitability to have you join the platform. We think that that model is, is backwards. And I think crypto is a reflection of that. Our feeling is you should be in charge of your identity. You should be able to um, go through this onboarding process and then determine at the time that you want to go do something, whether or not you're comfortable sharing the data. And that's all controlled within the app. So you only share what you want to. You can revoke that permission at any time. And it's only in the context of regulated activities that the counterparty could like store information, but you would know that up front. So, you know, we think it's, it's critically important. Certainly it's one of the ethos of blockchain and crypto kind of overall. I think it's definitely a necessary part of the ecosystem to have identity on chain, whether it's for the 3 billion people that have no identity or paperwork in the world whatsoever due to instability in their areas or the remaining, you know, almost 5 billion of us that easy, very easily could lose our social security card or just simply want an easier way to log into all these damn exchanges I got to sign up for. <laughs> what has been yeah. the biggest hurdles to adoption for Civic and similar other blockchain identity systems? I mean, Civic by far and away is the industry leader. But, you know, I'm sure you guys got a little consortium of everyone else is trying to do something similar. You know, why do we still have to sign up for 200 different things when Civic's been around since 2017 trying to make our lives easier? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we sometimes wonder that ourselves. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think part of it is walled gardens, right? I mean, exchanges and, and some of these other companies um, well, they may play in crypto. I don't. I don't think necessarily they embody kind of the ethos of of blockchain and, and crypto and decentralized identity, frankly. And so there's value. There's value to be harvesting your individual information. There's value in preventing people from jumping from exchange to exchange, um, in in creating friction for competitors to be able to onboard um, and bring new customers online. So they see that they're smart, you know, they, they have decided that that's part of the um, sort of um, barrier to entry that they want to create in their industry. And so, the, you know, where, where do incentives align, right? 
if any user can sort of flip-flop between um, various exchanges whenever they want, is that really the best thing for the exchange? And clearly, a lot of them have decided no. Now, enter DeFi, I think it's the opposite. Um, I think that dynamic flips on its head because there is a real need if you've got a, a DEX to be able to have other derivatives and you know lending pools and things um, sort of available um, that can interact with those smart contracts. And so I think the, the DeFi natives, um, as they've been creating a lot of their products, have recognized the need for interoperability. And they've recognized that you know, the wallet is a great abstract and, and, and structure to be able to tie things back to. But as regulation comes online, there may be real value in actually making it an ecosystem play. And so I think the dynamics changing a little bit now. Yeah, I know um, I'm pretty bullish um, on a you know, coin called Aave, right? Full disclosure, I'm long. Yep. But Aave just built a system called ARC. Uh, ARC, mm-hmm. and it is a fully KYC, um, you know, DeFi platform for like, you know, institutions and hedge funds and stuff. And it's kind of like, you know, the decentralized world saying, hey, you guys want to come in and play, we'll build, you know, these regulated liquidity pools, and you guys can come and do DeFi kind of under, um, you know, a, um, you know, a friendly template that, that's, you know, familiar to your compliance team, basically. And um, so I think what they're doing is really cool. Um, and I and I see, you know, you guys are focused on the Solana ecosystem and, you know, there's a million and a half exciting things going on there. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Solana ecosystem, how it has been uh, working in there um, and kind of why you chose that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're definitely bullish on Solana. Um, you know, we see that chain as kind of where the future is heading and you know, I think different chains are great for for different purposes, right? It, it, Ethereum is still like the OG and the EVM, Ethereum virtual machine smart contracting um, is kind of second to none. And, and it's a great incubator for projects um, because there are a lot of folks who can interact with those smart contracting um, kind of languages and, and work in that area. But also um, there's a need for high volume, high transactional throughput, um, low latency, low cost L1 chains to be available for some of the use cases that are competing directly with legacy fintech, right? If you think about the Visa network or you think about MasterCard or American Express or, or even you know going to like bank to bank exchanges via Swift or Wire, any of these structures have the benefit of, of decades of development and they also have got pretty um, pretty comfortable, right? That their, their regulatory bulwark is gonna prevent a lot of new entrants from coming in and challenging. Well, now that's starting to change, but in order to really see a change, there needs to be um, a very high volume throughput network like Solana that can do something like 50,000 transactions per second. Theoretically, it could go up above 100,000 transactions per second. Now that starts to be something that can scale and also at a very low cost. So for our kind of use case, um, part of the reason that we're interested in it, if you think about what identity is, um, it obviously touches every human being on the planet. And there's a lot of different aspects um, where identity comes into play, whether that's virtual worlds or NFTs or access management or DeFi or KYC use cases um, that we haven't even thought of yet. 
that's going to be a high volume, um, high transactional throughput kind of use case. So for us, we kind of looked around the ecosystem and said, where is there likely to be, be the most headroom to be able to grow a project like ours? And Solana was kind of the logical one um, for us to, to move over to. Awesome. Yeah, I remember um, back at Consensus three years ago, maybe there was a vending machine that you could like scan um, your civic QR code and you could prove like you were 21 and you could get a beer. And I always remember yep. like, that was my first impression of civic. I was like, damn, this is pretty cool. Uh, tell us a little bit. About, I was, like, I was you know, there. I was there. there. I was yeah, standing by met. that machine. We probably met. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was really innovative back then because I was like, oh, wow, here's a, a real cool utility for blockchain. Tell us a little bit about like maybe that uh, example or, or some other exciting examples um, that are you know tangible for the people. Yeah, yeah. So so the venue machine example, I think, is a great one. And by the way, we we have a partnership um, we just announced a few weeks ago with um, a really cool innovation lab called Blackfire Innovation. It's right outside the Vegas Strip partnered up with UNLV um, and then Caesars Entertainment. So, so we took a version of that vending machine, we put it into Blackfire Innovation and really to spark the imagination of the gaming and hospitality industry, right? So vending is a really tangible way, as you pointed out, um, Bryce, to be able to say, okay, how do I think about the ability to prove my identity in a new way? And why, why do I care? Why do I even care about this? And we think, you know, the vending machine is a way to kind of show you could do something you've never done before. And you can do it, by the way, without sharing data that ultimately could, you know, get revealed in a hack or whatever. And when we talk to our partners, um, especially on the alcohol vending side, they don't want the data. And here's a really interesting dynamic. That's right? an interesting new dynamic, I would say, huh? This is a liability. Yeah, Exactly. They're like, we don't want to create a honeypot of data such that, you know, a year from now, we've got 2 million people's personally identifiable information. We've got all these driver's licenses sitting in a, in a database, and it's just one hack away, you know, from being revealed and sold on the dark web. So what they want instead is something more like a zero knowledge proof where they can say, look, the vending machine, and this is what we designed, by the way, and you saw at Consensus, is a way for us to tell the machine this person's okay to dispense a beer to, but we're not actually going to tell you their birthday. We're not going to tell you their name. We're not going to tell you anything. We have an attestation on the blockchain of a digital identity tied to a government-issued photo ID. We've gone through better than any bouncer ever could, you know, letting you into a bar. We've gone through the document. We look for the hologram. We look for the watermark. We match the face to the document. And we're just going to tell you they're over 21. Now, you might ask yourself, like, okay, but like a beer vending machine, how interesting is it really? But I think the imagine, imaginative leap that we would ask people to take here is to say, okay, but like, what if you played that paradigm out into other ecosystems where you could do something that you've never done before, do something that you want to do without sharing the underlying data? And that's where the power of blockchain, I think, really comes online because that immutable attestation on chain tied back to an identity that has been verified. Now you don't need the underlying data to enable whatever it is the person wants to do, right? So it could be trade on a DeFi platform. It could be enter the lobby of a building. 
Um, it could be a whole bunch of things. And so we're working on playing out that identity use case into a variety of verticals right now. I would love to see that at the airport. I mean, I've got to carry my passport, my boarding pass, my ticket record locator number, TSA pre-check, global entry, all this stuff. When it'd be nice to just walk right through and be like, okay, this guy's cool. He's uh, yeah. on the OFAC list. Um, we did a couple other checks on him for you know the airlines to make sure he's got a ticket. And he is who he says he is. Cool. Just go right to the terminal. Exactly. Beautiful. And and the difference between you know some other companies who are trying to offer that kind of service, um, fairly well known, is uh, you know we're not taking the data and holding the data. You're sharing the data as an individual if if you agree to do so, um, or just the attestation on chain. Yeah. So we're the not zero knowledge proof. Yeah, the zero knowledge proof aspect of it is actually one of the best technologies to come out of cryptocurrency that can be applied just about anywhere else in life. Uh, it's really, really a beautiful thing that it just substitutes this yes or no answer for actually having to share the data itself. So great on you guys yeah. for picking that to be you know, the foundation of your technology. Tell us a little bit more about some of your near-term and long-term goals for civic technologies aside from this that we've talked about so far. Yeah, I mean, I think what we, we want to allow individuals really to participate more fully in the, the crypto blockchain world. And, you know, to us, that's that's not narrow. Um, and I think with what was happening with the NFT um, sort of upswing over the past several weeks, it's opened a lot of people's eyes. You know, late last year when NFTs were doing pretty well, I think a lot of people kind of went, yeah, it's a fad, right? It's, it's going to die away. But I think what they missed was, the NFT um, sort of upturn is is kind of a metaphor for um, intangible assets linked to a wallet or an identity. Ultimately, we think is where things are going to go, um, and that can include things like you know the deed to your house, or it could include you know things that um, you own that are intangible, or it could include things that are you know your your car, whatever it could be. Where did I go to school? I want to try and claim, you know, my own job history, educational history. There's a whole bunch of different ways it can play out. So our goal is to kind of say, okay, you do have to have this identity on the one hand, and then you can leverage it into the blockchain and crypto world. So we want to do that. We want to provide, I would say, um, a really easy to integrate layer. So we fully recognize the brilliance out there in the community of developers creating projects. I mean, the amount of innovation we've seen over the last couple of years is truly astounding as, you know, people even take open source code, fork it, stand things up. We want to be like a Lego on the shelf where you're like, okay, I need an identity element in my DAP. I'm just going to grab it off the shelf and plug it in. Um, that's where we'd like to see civic heading in the near future. Fantastic. Chris, while we still have you, there, there's one question we like to ask everybody in closing. Um, and it's it's a pretty simple one. It's just, you know, this is Crypto 101. A lot of people, this might be the very first time they've ever listened to a crypto podcast. Their mind might be blown. They're probably, you know, reeling. There's just so much to take in. But what's one word of advice or one word of wisdom from a guy who's, you know, built companies, uh, you know, in the crypto space? You know, what's one word of wisdom? Yeah, I would say it's not too late 
I think sometimes I talk to friends and family who haven't um, come into crypto and they're kind of like, well, if only I had been in in 2015 or even 2018, um, I feel like I would have been there at the right time. But now it's a little late, but it's not too late. The pace of innovation right now is so fast. Yes, there is a learning curve, but the things that are being built like right now today are going to provide the rails for the next generation of human commerce and communication. I think there's plenty of room inside crypto for everybody to get involved. And I would encourage people, whether you know, you're going to buy a little NFT or buy your first you know, crypto token, whatever that might be on Coinbase, just start to play around, get in there and experience it. You're not too late. And I think th this is where things are heading. Um, and it's important that people start to educate themselves. Very well said, Chris. Where can we go get our hands on what you've built so far if we want to put our identity on blockchain and start getting familiar with this ecosystem? What do we do? Yeah, I would encourage people to visit civic.com, but also you can go straight to the app stores if you wish and download the Civic Wallet. Um, it's available there and you can kind of go through and play with it and set up your identity. Um, there's a variety of places where you can use the Civic Wallet. Those are listed on our website at uh, civic.com. Um, also, if you feel like it, join our Discord channel. Um, that's where we chat with a lot of developers and uh, project supporters, and that's where the uh, the hot takes might be. Yeah, I love I love that aspect about crypto. Just uh, all the founders and all the devs and everything. It's just like they're hanging out in public, you know, in a public forum, ready to talk and answer questions and provide help at any time. So uh, that's awesome. Great. Chris, appreciate your time today. Uh, we'll let you get back to building the future of uh, decentralized identity. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.